Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm Best Boy Justin. And we are here to tell the tale of four kids. Not not four separate kids, the company, four kids. You know what's funny is I was literally going to make that exact same joke. Well, too late because I made it first. Because we are hacks and frauds. Yes, <laughs> Can't exactly. do any better. This is the best we can do. And you're stuck here um, with us. We're the so, best. Yeah, we, we're the best anime <laughs> podcast you're listening to right now. Um, so we looked into the the backstory of uh, Four Kids Entertainment or Four Kids Productions, uh, and it is wild. We originally picked the episode because Four Kids is kind of renowned, if you don't know, for their kind of crazy localization if you ever heard people uh refer to rice balls as donuts that's kind of where it comes from we're gonna get all into it later but first we're gonna hit you with our usual chunk of banter uh we have some wild news for you so stay tuned to all of that best buds and up first uh i want to talk about the journey and not the destination with freerin yes absolutely uh because we talked You're, about Freeman uh, a lot last week, and we're doing <laughs> it again now. Yeah, it, it's... So I've been reading the manga, uh, like, up ahead past the show, um, because the show has kind of re-sparked my love uh, for the story, and I wanted to find out what happens. And it is so good. <laughs> it just... The more I read, it just keeps getting better and better. And... What I find so fascinating is uh, just how th- how the author manages to tell this story that theoretically has an end, but like really just so clearly is not about that. It's just it is about the journey. We were talking about this, and and your kind of thought on it was that it, it's a it's a slice of life anime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of different types of anime, but I think Slice of Life is definitely one of them. And I think that's a really interesting lens at which to look at it through, because there are, as I read through, there's kind of very clearly defined arcs that happen, but nothing really fundamentally changes how the story is really just about this journey and how it's letting her kind of relive her past journey kind of in parallel and every takeaway is is never about what happened afterwards or you know what the future holds it's always about just like being present in that moment um because of what that can lead to in the future uh and it's it's just it's beautiful <laughs> yeah um, it, it is maybe one of the best fantasy stories i've experienced in a while yeah i mean you know the world building is fantastic the characters are like you know you gotta fall in love with all of the characters right they're all so good um and I think that that's a part of what makes this story as good as it is, is that all of the characters are very they're written with care and attention to their 
to their basically to their the way that they look at life. You know, um, that's one of the mm. the most important things that I think is written into each of these characters, um, and it it comes through when you see their their actions and the things that they say. You can you can get a a really good feel for the way that they look at the world and how they they approach life, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a very important thing for this type of show. Um, but I am also talking about Freerend um, this week in my banter section. I have a couple things to talk about. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is specifically related to the anime because they did um, they did animate a thing that I had been looking forward to seeing for a very long time. Um, I'm not going to go into detail about it. There's no spoilers, but um, what it does regard is Freerun's nickname, right? And it, it's a kind of a play on words for the title of the show. Now, the the, the localized title of the show is uh, Freerun uh, Beyond Journey's End, right? Um, but the the Japanese title of the show is Soso no Freerun. Which can be translated a couple different ways. The, the the way that it's translated for the title of the show, because Japanese is a context-based language, is a very common thing in Asia, um, is Freerun at the funeral, right? That's that's what they, they kind of directly translates to. Oh, wild. Now, um, but there is another way to to translate the phrase so so no freerun, depending on the context it's used in, and that is um Freerun who sends you to your funeral, um, which is which is localized, Hell you know, yeah. as Freerun the Slayer, which is how she's yeah. she's introduced in this arc that we're that I just finished watching that is so exciting, um, and I love that kind of wordplay because I didn't pick that up when I was reading the manga. Obviously, I was reading the manga in English. Um, it was when I was when I, it was when I was uh, watching it in Japanese. When I, I saw the, the you know the person who was talking about her say so so no freerun, which I recognized as the the Japanese title of the show, but the 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 subtitle said freerun the slayer, and I was like, wait a minute, there's a disconnect here. I want to know what this means, um, and so I looked it up, and that's how that's how I discovered this this kind of wordplay, um, and I think that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, given the context of the show, right? Because it can be taken as both like, you know, you're looking at Freerun from the from the side of like, okay, we're talking about this story about how she is dealing with the after effects of her, you know, her mortal friends dying. Um, but we're also looking at the past that she has lived, which is one where she is an incredibly powerful mage who is, you know, so good at killing demons that her nickname has become Freerun the Slayer which is also said the same way as the title. Um, so I thought you might find that interesting. Best boy, Dan. That is super interesting. And it also reminded me of one other thing I wanted to say about Freerun mm-hmm. that should just get everyone hyped. There's a tournament arc. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I so haven't good. read it yet, but I know it's coming. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, like, you uh, anytime I you get to see like Freerun actually like use magic, it's great. Absolutely, um, especially uh, not even just Freerun, but also Fern. Because this most have you watched Yo. the episode that came out today, Best Boy Nan? 
No, but uh, you don't have to tell me because Fern is like actually one of my favorite characters. Dude, wait until you see the battle that is um, that is animated in oh. today's episode because it is so gorgeous. It is so beautiful. Uh, it's probably right, one of the best yeah. fight scenes that we have animated this this season, and that's saying a lot in a season where Jujutsu Kaisen has a very important fight scene yeah. that just happened. Um, yeah, no, I definitely want to check that out because I want I want to see how they handle that. That's one of the more intense uh, battles in I, the show. Up, I will say point. without giving anything away, pay very close attention to the foreground and the background and the way that that is 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 animated. Um, Ooh, I'm so excited! But anyway, like I said, we're not getting into into spoilers. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about—what are you talk talking about? about? This is the Freerun cast now. I know this is the, welcome to the Freerun podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan, um, or actually, I'm Best Boy Justin. But what? Dan usually <laughs> says his name first, so I got confused. Um, anyway, the other thing I wanted to talk about with Freerun. So I am—I don't—I'm not really on Facebook too much anymore, right? It, It's—it's it's for boomers now. Uh, we we've surrendered Facebook to the boomers, but I do still have one because it's one of the primary ways that I keep in touch with a certain circle of friends. Um, so I have one and one of the pages. So two of the pages that I follow on Facebook are very similar. One of them is the, the name of the Facebook page is every single frame of Bochi the rock in order. And basically every day they post a bunch of posts, which are just images of each and every frame of Bochi the Rock, right? And they're, I think they're on like episode like six now. Um, but they have a sister page, which is every single page of uh, Freerun Beyond Journey's End in order, right? So they're still obviously only on the first episode because they're doing every, they literally do every single frame, um, which I don't know Question. how they get away with it, but what's up? Question Is this your like Tyler Durden moment? Like, is this like you go to sleep and you're actually doing this at night because it could it's be. a weird cross-sectionality of interest? It really could be because it is it is the two two of the shows <laughs> that I am the most into. Um, but but irregardless of, of whether or not I am I am the one behind these these Facebook groups that have to be breaking some law somewhere. Um one of the uh, one of the main reasons that I follow them is not just because I like to see images from these shows that I enjoy on my timeline to interrupt the boomer uh, posts from my family, um, but it's because I enjoy the comments sections because a lot of they're talking about shows that I enjoy, right? So I like to to read the comments. But I will say this: I need to get my bonk and stick out because. The fandom for Freerun is too horny. Oh God! It's too. I'm. I'm saying. I'm calling it here. It's too horny, guys. You gotta stop. Because I wish you had not brought this to my attention. <laughs> <laughs> because I the other day, and this was just one of many posts that I found um, in the comments of some of these these uh, these posts is the apparently there is a, a very large or at least very vocal subset of Freerun fans who are obsessed with Freerun's feet. Um, the, the, one of the most, uh, the, one of the images that I absolutely had to send to Best Boy Dan, um, it was a, basically it was a picture of Freerun's feet, but they were in between hamburger buns with hamburger toppings on them. And it oh, is very God, detailed. It, was... it is incredibly detailed. 
Um, Wildly detailed. And it, the thing that blows my mind about that, too, is that there's nothing inherently, like, foot forward. <laughs> no, the show, the show does not feature Frieden. her feet very often. Like, like I can't even like think of a particular moment that stands out in my mind, like that scene in Kill Bill. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I just well, we've been talking a lot about my dress up, darling. There's a foot scene in that. That one I can think of before Freerin. Yeah, but they're really obsessed with her feet. But best boy Nan, that's not all, because of course uh, it's not. This is the internet. No, welcome to no. the internet. Have a look around. Um. <laughs> The other thing that the Freerun fandom, or at least the horniest bits of it, are obsessed with is Fern's armpits. No. Oh, yes. Why? Oh, yes. There's like, it is not as prominent as Freerun's feet, but there is a huge subset of very vocal fans who love Fern's armpits, and I am not She's okay with it. She's also a child. Fern is a child, yes, but e even if even if she wasn't, it would still be weird. Like, like they, they pick out, like, the four or five frames of the entire show so far where her armpits are visible, and that is what they choose to, to draw uh, fan drawings of. Um, it's a lot. Uh. So if you're listening, if you're out there, you're in the free run fandom, you gotta you gotta chill out, you gotta relax a little bit, okay, guys? Like this is a lot, okay? Well, uh, okay, so so a Fern is a child. B Freerin is like very clearly ace. Mm -hmm. it, it's just it's so weird to me to loot her. I have never once had thought of. Freerin is like a sexual bee. I mean, sexuality is a spectrum, and as far as elves are concerned, Freerin is on one end, and Sylphiette is on the other. Oh my god. <laughs> Humping lamps. Dry humping a lamp, talking about how badly she wants some babies put in her. Um no, but you know, I just I had to bring that up because I it was so it was it was just over and over again. Like I would be seeing like I would see a scene from Freeman that I thought was beautiful, like, you know, like Freeman smiling and she has a leaf on her head. And I'm like, oh, that's adorable. And I would go into the comments <laughs> and it would just be her feet everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Because I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. All right. If you're into feet, that's fine. I'm not, you know, listen, I'm not going to judge you. I accept you. I'm not, I don't agree with you, but I accept you. But, like, you need to relax with Freerun's feet, okay? You need to chill a little bit, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, anyway. That burger was truly a lot. <laughs> moving, moving on from Freerun's feet, uh, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about two shows that we kind of really didn't talk too much about uh, on the pod for their respective seasons, but I have been watching them, and I just wanted to chat about them real quick. Uh, do they feature feet at all? Um, Tony Kawa does a little bit, I guess. Um, okay, I remain interested. <laughs> oh God, Dan is Dan is in the foot faction. Um, no, uh, the first one is Tony Kawa, of course. Um, we talked about it very briefly um, when it came out, but we didn't have time to watch it. Um, there's another OVA series out for Tony Kawa. Um, and it covers a really interesting arc. It is um, basically what happens is Nasa gets asked by a friend of his, his former teacher, 
um, to teach a programming class at an all girls high school that she works at um, because she doesn't know anything about programming and like trying to figure it out is ruining her personal life and affecting her planning for her marriage somehow. Um, but it's actually a really interesting arc in the Tony Kawa story. It's like kind of the last arc that I read. Um, I haven't been reading it in a while, just not even because I don't like it, just because like I really enjoy the anime. So I want to kind of see how many, how far they're going to go with it. Um, but it's a really They've interesting. They've already gone further than I expected. Well, there's still a whole, because I, I, I have read this arc and the arc after it. The arc after it is nuts. Um, it would make for an, a really good season of the show if they decide to do it. Um, but uh, this particular one is really interesting because it's kind of it deals with somebody who has a similar situation to um, Tsukasa, who is a student at the the all girls school that NASA is teaching at. Um, and it's also just really wholesome and cute, like like the whole story is, you know, Um so I just wanted to give that uh, a little bit of daylight on the show, uh, on the pod. So if you're if you're a fan of Tonikawa, maybe this one slipped by you. Uh, it's there. It's out. I think there's like four or five episodes uh, to it. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many, um, but I watched the first one. It's super cute. Um, so definitely, you know, if you're a Tonikawa fan, um, this is your little reminder, your nudge that it is it is there is more out there for you to watch. Um and along those lines, um, I wanted to talk about what is possibly the most wholesome show that is out uh, this season. But you're probably the not watching it. Friends who really want want to be with you. Yes, exactly. No, it, it is the most wholesome show that is out currently. I think, but you're probably not watching it because it does not have a wholesome title. Um, the show is called Giving the Disgraced Noble Lady a Crash, a crash Course in Naughtiness. Um, and I don't. it didn't quite make our top ten list, but it is a manga that I, I read, so I have been watching it. And it is just so aggressively wholesome. And it's funny because, like, you know, obviously the title, if you read that, you'd be like, I'm not going to watch this. It's probably fan service trash. Um but it's not because what they what they mean is kind of a very innocent version of naughtiness, right? So it's like, oh, spending like teehee naughtiness. Yes, yeah, like staying up all night and and eating sweets, or like you know going into town and splurging on things you want to buy. Because basically, what it is is there's the the main character. He's what's he's known as the demon lord, right? He's not actually a demon lord. He's just a very powerful mage, and people like are afraid of him, so they call him the demon lord. And he takes in a runaway from a neighboring country who has been driven out of the palace. Basically, she was supposed to be the fiance of the prince, um, but he framed her for a bunch of crimes so that he could marry. Like you do. Yeah, so that he could marry the person that he wanted to marry instead of her. And she had basically been kind of treated like a slave by the royal family. Um you know, she had been like whipped horribly and used as a servant and basically like just never had like a normal life growing up. So when this demon lord finds her, he basically wants to give her an opportunity to have like a normal life and enjoy, you know, life's kind of small pleasures. And he refers to them as being naughty. Right. So like a good example of how wholesome this show is. Um, 
they just had a, they just had a hot springs episode, right? But instead of just, like obviously there was the scene where he sees her in her swimsuit and is he's like, "Oh, I can see her by her cleavage and it's hot." But like the actual like like naughty moment in the show is that he uses his his magic to make ice cream stay frozen so that they can eat ice cream in the hot spring. Um and that is their that, that is their awesome. Right? Isn't that awesome? That just sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so like it's like a super cute and wholesome show that I feel like a lot of people are not watching because of the title. So like if you're into like wholesome slice of life fantasy shows and you want to watch one that is off the beaten path, try the, give this one a shot because I promise you it is not as horny as the title makes it sound. Even if you're just casually interested, like this is one that made it pretty deep into our um culling of the top 10 uh fall shows and and because it's it's pretty good it's pretty accessible even for first timers into the genre absolutely so i definitely recommend it i just wanted to give it a, a shout out um since we couldn't we didn't put it on the list last week we'll talk about it a little bit this week but with all that being said i think this is a good point for us to check in with studio weeb for some anime news <laughs> That's right, Best Buds. We have more news than could possibly deluge social media and dramatically affect a democratic election. Oh, geez, that sounds so specific. <laughs> uh, it is because uh, I have, and and I've used the word wild. This is what I've been talking about because, oh man, I have been so excited to tell you this story since I saw it uh, on Sunday. Um, this is the very real story of how Chainsaw Man is playing into the Argentinian election. Uh, so are, are you familiar at all with, uh, what's happening in the Argentinian election, best boy Justin? I'm not even familiar what's happening in our election, so regale me. Sure. Uh, let me tell you, uh, a little story. Carried by a wave of shouting supporters and wielding chainsaw at the open sky, the man of the hour approached the stage. He looked around and angrily screamed, Chainsaw! Chainsaw! A war cry quickly picked up by his supporters, calling for carnage. All around him, shouts, chants, and traffic horns blasting. This is the 2023 presidential race in Argentina where pol quote-unquote political outsider Javier Millier uh, it, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this or anyone no, else's names. Um, th this is how I roll. Okay. Um, is a leading candidate. Uh, his repeated appearances wielding a chainsaw campaign stops uh, to symbolize promises to dramatically cut government uh, expenses, eliminate public subsidies, and to quote-unquote break up the status quo. Argentine politics have been largely dominated by the same group for the last 20 years, and Millier represents a new outside force that is aggressively targeting the traditional power brokers. It is a tale that draws comparison to the rise of far-right stars such as U.S. President Donald Trump and former Brazilian President uh, Javier Bolsonaro. Jair Bolsonaro. Scenario. Hi, both scenario. There is no, there's no V anywhere in there. <laughs> but also, no, you know what? Was. You know what I is in there though maybe. is COVID, because that man has had COVID yeah. more times than any other person on the planet. Dude, uh, 
Bolsonaro is a whole other story. Anyway, like Bolsonaro, Millier uh, rose to fame at a time of great economic crisis in his country. Argentina's yearly inflation has risen to 124% in August. Jesus. It's highest level in over 32 years. Yeah, it's crazy. Food prices have grown 15% in the last month alone. Uh, according to the National Institute of Statistics and Census uh, and Trump, uh, Millier has been able to channel a sentiment of anger towards the political class perceived as distant and ineffective. Um, so as of the recording of this episode, there was no decisive victor from the initial vote, and the election is going to a runoff. Advancing to the uh, November 19th runoff is uh, Sergio Massa of the ruling uh, Union for the Homeland uh, Party, who unexpectedly came in first place, winning 36% of the vote. Javier Millier of the Liberty Advances came in second place with 30% of the vote. Can I just... Um, interrupt for just one second yeah i love the names of their our political parties are so boring democrat (laughs) republican like these are look look at this like what what do we have union for the homeland liberty advances advances. like where where is my like emperor of mankind political party like where is where is the (laughs) real like kind of awesome political party yeah where is the the jedi for senate party you know (laughs) um jedi jedi for working families yeah oh god um so yeah so uh, essentially going to a runoff you have to get 51 percent. so why is this an anime story it, it, chainsaws obviously um no way when i first saw this <laughs> they were talking about the chainsaws and they didn't mention that uh people were dressed up as chainsaw man um chainsaws have basically become millier's red baseball caps supporters have been dressing up as chainsaw man at rallies at the polls uh and even in the streets there's even a viral video of millier holding up a uh, plushy uh puchita he was handed uh waving it victoriously in the air i will say that uh, chainsaws are a way cooler version of the red baseball cap oh totally agree now this all sounds lovely and fun no it um, doesn't <laughs> i think it does right i think i think uh biden would be I don't. much more entertaining if he waved chainsaws around i don't think it does because i haven't read the story <laughs> and i already know what comes next Oh, it's going to be great, right? Um, So this guy, super easy to make fun of, right? Like the list goes on. It's it's not just waving around chainsaws. He has publicly stated that he ejaculates once every three months. Yeah, there it is. He, He, yeah, he has called the Pope an embarrassing communist, a piece of shit, and a potato. One of those things is (laughs) accurate. and he has a very weird relationship with his dog, all four of his dog. Now, I specifically say dog singular because they're all clones of his late dog, Conan. Uh, they are also his cabinet, for real. 
he genuinely refers to them as quote unquote the best strategist in the world they are led by one clone who he believes is the actual reincarnation of uh conan and he acts as the general strategist while the dog murray uh is the economics advisor and lucas assists him in seeing the future and learning from his past mistakes okay so you remember how i said i know what happens next i was wrong (laughs) i didn't see this one coming this is this is a whole nother level of psychosis. I don't know if we're ready for this. So so this is hilarious until you remember how close this guy is to actually winning. Do you remember right? when the, the, the dog drama that we had in American politics was just that Biden's dog <laughs> bites a Secret Service agent once or twice a month? And this guy has clones of his dog as his cabinet. I can't. So now the issue is Masa, his opponent, is not doing him any favors. He is currently the center left finance minister, which has been a huge part of the last 20 year regime that has led Argentina into these dire financial straits. Uh, Argentinians are genuinely afraid of the future and keep and keeping down this currently proven disastrous path. Uh, This combined with the pressures from rising food prices and impressive inflation, people are turning to a candidate that promises radical change. Um, But, and here's where the turn happens. Let's examine what change that means. Millier is a self-described anarcho-capitalist, a brand of libertarianism that seeks to abolish the state in favor of an unfettered free market. I hate I hate anarcho-capitalists so much. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. I'm sure Uh, it doesn't. He campaigned on heavy tax cuts or heavy cuts, eliminating taxes, slashing the budget, switching from the U.S. dollar, and blowing up the central bank, which he reenacts consistently on TV, mostly in pinata form. Okay, so um, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> do like that part. No, not like what it represents, but just the fact that he uses a pinata regularly sure. on television. He also wants expanded gun ownership and to outlaw abortion. He says global warming is a socialist lie uh, and that Trump is the best president the U.S. has ever had. So Argentina, I also love Chainsaw Man, but please do not make the same mistakes we did. I don't know. I don't even know if it's this is a whole other stack of mistakes. (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. Trump was bad, but like how many clones of his dog did he have? Trump doesn't have a dog. <laughs> That's even worse, actually. I'd rather you have clones of your dogs than not have a dog as a president. President's supposed to have a dog. That's you got to have a wife. You got to have a dog. That's that's the rules. Or a husband. I mean, so far, no. <laughs> I mean, according to Fox News, they're not sure about Michelle Obama. Oh, uh, don't don't even get me started on that. That's a whole other can of worms. Anyway, it has nothing to do with Chainsaw Man, so we'll leave it at (laughs) that. Yeah, but sorry. So this is, yeah, I I saw the Chainsaw Man, and then this story is just so insanely bizarre. I couldn't 
not talk about I it. I thought I knew where this story was going, and I was so wrong. Like, the the, yeah. the pivot that it took with the, the dog clones was just, there's no way I could have predicted that. I was predicting, like, standard fascism bullshit, but this this is a whole nother level of insane. Yep, yep, yep. So, enjoy that one. I'm glad I got to share it with you. Mm. Um, up next, uh, the official Twitter account for Attack on Titan revealed that the Attack on Titan final season, the final chapters, part two, Electric Boogaloo, colon, the last one, uh, we're going out together with a bang, part three, VA6927, will be 85 minutes long. Uh, it will premiere on November 4th. Uh, unsure of if it will stream in the US, but probably um honestly by the time this releases it's probably available so hopefully it's amazing it's uh, the reason why i even wanted to like it's a very small story but i wanted to talk about it was there's not often that big long-running tentpole franchise series go out um so I am finally interested. We've been waiting for so long to see what Attack on Titan's legacy is going to be. Can I be uh, honest like, with you? It... <clears throat> yeah. I didn't even watch the last chunk of episodes they released because yeah. I knew it wasn't the end. And I'm not watching this until I know it's the end. Okay. I'll I'll watch it. You watch it and let me know because know. I if it's not the end, <laughs> I'm not watching it. That's fair. I honestly, that's 100% fair. You know, like I'm, I'm not getting invested again just to be let down and wait another year. Um, but if it is actually <laughs> we'll the we'll... end, I will watch it and all of the yeah, other episodes. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it the, for sure. The the last episodes that I watched were what was originally called Attack on Titan: The Final Season, and then there was another <laughs> Before, like what there was another two or three episodes released after that, and then there's this one, which is 85 minutes long. So we'll we'll see if it's actually the end. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, yeah, so that that's yeah. how I feel about Attack on Titan. I have I yeah. have Attack on Titan fatigue. I, I, I if it's gonna be over, <laughs> I just want it to be over. Yeah. Well we'll we'll find out shortly. Well tomorrow. <laughs> uh or when you're listening to this. Uh but that brings us to a mini numbers with Dan. Numbers with Dan. One Piece film red. You fucked it up. You fucked it up. One Piece film red. Leave it in. One month. That's see. She sells seashells on the seashore. (laughs) Uh, One Piece film reds. One month encore screening has since its October twentieth opening put the film at a total of twenty billion yen or one hundred and thirty three million dollars. The film has sold around three hundred million yen or about. $2.5 
2 million so far from the encore screenings. Uh, the film has sold, sold a total of uh, 14.5 million tickets. Uh, the encore screenings ranked number one in its opening weekend and sold uh, 122,000 tickets uh, to earn just over a million dollars in its first three days. Can I interject the for movie- just a second? Yeah. Imagine if you What's were up? imagine if you were putting out a movie that week and you're like, all right, let's put out our movie. And one and one piece red is like, hey, guess what? We're back. And it just <laughs> pushed you off the top of the charts. I wonder if it went up against Five Nights at Freddy's, because I think that's what came out that weekend. I don't know how big that is in Japan. But maybe. Yeah. Or or if it released in Japan. Sometimes they do US releases first. I'd be curious actually what it went up. Yeah. Uh, what what did what did what did One Piece film Reds? Encore screening, bump off the top of the list. That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> One online research later. All right. So through the magic of editing, I, I looked it up and uh, it went up against uh, Digimon Adventure 2, the beginning, um, which got fifth place. And Sisu had its first week in Japan also, which I still oh, really? want to see. Actually. Yeah, I actually want to see. It. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what was number two then? What was number two in Japan? Mm the creator i don't know what that is which was it's um uh it i actually really want to see it it's like a sci-fi movie from the guy who did uh or the person who did rogue one. Oh, okay i'd be into that yeah imagine imagine yeah, you're imagine looks, you're that it dude. looks really cool <laughs> well <laughs> that's we're not even going to get into that because that's actually a whole other story and like how bad um that movie did even though it's like one of uh, supposedly one of the better pieces of like original science fiction in the last 20 years anyway <laughs> um the film has now surpassed Hal's moving castle as the fifth highest earning anime film in japan uh moreover the film has earned the equivalent of 200 and million worldwide, thus surpassing Hell's Moving Castle as the fourth highest uh, earning anime film globally. Uh, It is the eighth highest earning film of all time in Japan and topped the Japan box office for 2022. So, One Piece Red just continuing to crush it back from the grave. Tearing it up, dude. I gotta say... I am super happy about the kind of cultural significance that One Piece has attained globally. Um, Not even just because of One Piece Film Red, because obviously One Piece Film Red is for people who have who were already invested in the show, but mainly because of the live action. I know a couple people who got back into One Piece because of the live action. Um, um, raise hand. Yeah, you myself, but not really. My, I was kind of already watching it, but like, um, one of my one of my very good friends, best girl Rebecca, um, also got back in. She's way further into it than me and you, um, and she picked it back up because of of the one the live action, I believe. Um, I I have uh, a friend who not into anime at all and just loved the live action show so like so i i I know there's gonna be a lot of like old head one piece fans who are like oh all these new bandwagon one piece fans blah 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 i think it's a good thing um always i think it's a really good thing uh how well 
the One Piece live action did and that it's getting new people who are either were just never who did who like people who are like you and me who felt that the task of watching One Piece was so daunting that we just put it off or people who were just never really into it at all finally became aware of it. You know, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I like one of the things I thought about just having as a banter section, but I'm going to talk about now anyway, is, um, how after we did our fall uh anime i like never want to watch anime immediately after <laughs> we do a review yeah me neither because it's just like i watched so much i watched the equalizer 2 instead of watching anime <laughs> after we finished that episode <laughs> don't get me wrong the, it was a good movie but i i watched the fall of the house of usher uh which i really enjoyed like um, usher the singer would recommend or? That's what I asked too. I was like, "The Fall of the House of Ursher." Bam, 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 bam. Definitely not. Um, but uh, One Piece, I I started watching almost immediately because it was just something I could throw on in the background, and it's the show kind of sparked this joy in the story and made me like understand the anime more i've I've always had a hard time getting into the anime but i think it was the early episodes and and kind of skipping past those really i think helped a lot mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um but anyway moving on from one piece uh love it as we do um i'm gonna talk a little bit about some news um we got some big news from crunchyroll uh, Crunchyroll has announced that it will be collaborating with Amazon to distribute the Crunchyroll subscription service on Prime Video. That is actually, as we record, available now. Um, I saw it. Yeah, Crunchyroll is now available via Prime Video channels in the U.S. It will then launch on Prime Video in Canada, Sweden, and the U.K. Um, before arriving in additional territories later this year. Crunchyroll is offering its fan and mega fan subscription tiers through Prime Video. The latter includes offline viewing in addition to ad-free streams with additional non-video benefits to be added shortly thereafter. The company stated that it will add non-video benefits uh, shortly. Um, I repeated that. I don't know why I repeated that. Probably because I'm a hack and a fraud. Crunchyroll recently collaborated with Sony Pictures Entertainment's GSN, or Game Show Network, to launch a 24-7 linear channel on Amazon Freebie, LG Channels, and the Roku Channel. Um, This is basically an anime TV channel where just Crunchyroll decides what airs, um, like its traditional cable channel. Um, Sony's Funimation Global Group... traditional cable was this thing before <laughs> yeah. the internet. <laughs> we do we do I feel like we do have some viewers who are young enough to maybe not remember cable um as it as it once was. It used to be the only way we watched things was cable. Uh, unless you went That's to go so rent awful. a video um which is also a dated term. Anyway, though I do miss that. I don't. Um <laughs> I would much rather just have the streaming services we have now. Um, that's true Sony's Funimation Global Group completed its acquisition of Crunchyroll from AT&T on August 9th, 2021 after the company first announced the acquisition in December of 2020 the uh, purchase price was a whopping US uh, $1.175 billion and the proceeds were paid in cash at closing Um, according to Deadline 
Amazon's Prime Video streaming service will begin running advertisements for subscribers in the United States in early 2024. The company will offer an ad-free subscription tier for an additional $2.99 a month on top of the base subscription fee. While Prime Video plans to introduce advertisements in the United States, United Kingdom, Germany, and Canada in early 2024, Amazon will expand the plans into France, Italy, Spain, Mexico, and Australia later on that year. Um, so this is interesting. So we've got some uh, we've got some new ways for you to watch Crunchyroll. Um, I know not every smart TV has a Crunchyroll app, although to be entirely honest with you, the ones that don't. Uh, are few and far between. But if you already use Amazon to watch other things, well, guess what? You can watch uh, Crunchyroll uh, through that service as well now. Yeah, I think there are a surprising amount of like Amazon devices out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, even if they're not specifically Amazon smart TVs, like for example, I have a, uh, you know, we have a Fire TV in my living room in my apartment. Um, but like the uh, the smart TV that I just now use as a second monitor, um, it has Amazon video connectivity built in, even though it's not like a fire TV. Um, and I feel like a lot of those devices are out there. Uh, also, tablets. I mean, I guess if you're if you already have oh, the yeah. Amazon fire Prime tablets, kids have. A lot of families have Fire tablets for their kids. Yeah, or I guess if you just already only use, you know, Prime Video to watch your streaming things, which I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know too many people who that's their primary streaming service. But if it's yours, um, you know, you can now access Crunchyroll on that without having to download another app. So that's a that's a that's a thing. Um, but overall, I think the the most important part about this story is more. Is, is less about Crunchyroll being available on Prime Video. I think Crunchyroll having a, a linear uh, streaming channel is huge. Um, but also the fact that Crunchyroll being a part of Prime Video, which is itself moving to a, a premium model with ad supported as its base tier, I think is interesting. Um because that's kind of the same move that Crunchyroll has made, but they have they've made it so that the base tier is free with ad supported, but without full access to the catalog. Whereas Prime Video, the base tier is paid with ads, and then you will have to pay an additional three dollars a month to have it without ads. And I think that is kind of indicative of where we can expect Crunchyroll to move in the future. Mm, yeah. Um, Everything's getting more expensive. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a fact. Um, but for now, let's just, uh, you know, enjoy having Crunchyroll available on more platforms. Um, and finally, for my news section, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, an anime that flew under the radar for me. That is coming out soon, but I actually had read the manga for or at least to a certain point before I kind of um, I fell off on it. I didn't drop it. I just it was one of the the manga that I had just kept putting off reading uh, for a while. Um, this year's 47th issue of Shueisha's Weekly Shonen Jump magazine revealed four new cast members for the television anime of Hitsuji Gondaira's Mission Yozakura Family manga on Monday. Um Silverlink is animating the production. The anime will have also have a stage event at the Jump Festa 2024 
uh, on December 16th. Uh, Gondaya, who also wrote Demon Prince Poro's Diaries, launched the manga in Weekly Shonen Jump in August 2019. Uh, Viz Media has been simultaneously publishing the manga in English digitally since its debut in Japan. Um, and it has also published compiled volumes digitally in December 2020 and has been releasing the series in physical volumes, starting with the first volume in October of 2022. Um the Manga Plus service is where you can find it uh, online, and it describes the story thusly. Tayo Asano is a super shy high school student, and the only person he can talk to is his child friend, uh, childhood friend Mutsumi Yozakura. It turns out that Mutsumi is the daughter of the ultimate spy family, and even worse, she's being harassed by her overprotective nightmare of her brother, Kyorichiro. Uh, what drastic steps will Tayo have to take to save Mutsumi? A spy family comedy... The mission begins. This is kind of an interesting take on the spy genre. I don't know what came out first. I think Spy Family probably came out first. But um, this is more of like uh, Spy Family is kind of difficult to place in the shonen dynamic. Like, I guess it is technically a shonen, but it's less of like a traditional battle shonen, right? This is like kind of what if Spy Family had more battle shonen elements to it? Um, like all of the different members of the, the spy family, the Yozakura family have different specialties. Like there's one who is like a medical specialist and he like specializes in like poisons and chemicals and toxins and stuff like that. And then you have somebody who's like a stealth specialist. You have like a guy who's all like into explosives and guns. And I think it's a really interesting dynamic, um, I think the story is pretty cute. The uh, relationship between um, Tayo and Mutsumi is very wholesome. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing this one uh, come to the uh, the screen. It sounds interesting. <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm just imagining, like, you said uh, Spy Family, but, like, more fights. And I'm just imagining, like, every, like, money-making executive talking to the manga cubs by family they're like you know but like what if there's like more fights you yeah know? and and it's funny because if you watch <laughs> this season of spy family or at least a couple episodes of it that i've seen it's almost like they that the, the manga was like what if i just did the opposite yeah <laughs> and i think that's fine i love the way spy family is progressing um yeah i enjoy it too but i also think a lot of people are going to enjoy this one mission yozakura family it's it's got a really interesting story um and the characters are really cool. Uh, so, yeah, that's coming out. Um, no release date yet, but I imagine probably sometime late 2024. Uh, but we'll keep you posted on that. Um, yeah. And then stay tuned for 2025 when uh, the next six uh, Spy Family knockoff shows come out. Exactly. Um, but let us know what what's your fam- what's your favorite Spy Family knockoff show? Um, there aren't any out yet, but there will be soon. Um, you know, what are you keeping an eye on this season? Have you watched the One Piece film Red? Are you going to be tuning in day and date to watch the final, allegedly the final episode, the final chapters of Attack on Titan? You can let us know all of this and more. Um, hit us up on Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. Send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is huge. Um, 
just absolutely, you know, really poison that like button. Just hit it with hit it with all of those spy um, paraphernalia that you have. Um, and we don't have a like button, but if you if you subscribe to us on your podcast uh, supplier of choice, that would also really help us out. Um, yeah, just just you know, bite that bell so hard it yeah. leaves a mark. But get, make sure get you us, do it like in a place you can't see. Get us get us in your in your feed. Get us all up in your feed. Mm. Um, but with that out of the way, I think it's time for us to take a nice soul swan dive into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. Hey, love a girl who treats me like dirt. Hey, gorgeous, you remember me, right? Any chance you're free Friday? These donuts are great. Jelly-filled are my favorite. Nothing beats a jelly-filled donut. I feel like we're gonna get a, a cease and assist letter from the like button. <laughs> I mean, we would deserve it. Yeah, probably. Um, let's talk the sordid history of four kids. Absolutely, best boy Justin. How much do you know about four kids entertainment? I know that four kids is behind is the reason why a lot of children think that rice balls are donuts. <laughs> and. And we will definitely get to that. How much do you know about the company itself? Very little. Very little. Great. I'm going to tell you all about it because it is not what I expected. Tell me everything. So, Four Kids Entertainment, or as it was originally known, Leisure Concepts Inc., um, which is definitely not into anything weird. Yeah, that's not suspicious like that. at all. <laughs> um, was an American licensing company. Um, Leisure Concepts was co-founded in April 28th of 1970 by Mike Germakian. Sure. Um, he was one of the creators of the Thundercats oh. and Stan Weston. Yes. Oh, uh, and, who was one of the creators of GI Joe and captain action, uh, as, uh, they created this as an independent licensing agency in New York city. Uh, though they would become most notorious as a film and product, uh, television production company that produced English dubbed Japanese anime through its subsidiary for kids production for two decades between 1992 and 2012. 4Kids Production specialized in the acquisition, production, and licensing of children's entertainment around the United States. The first anime 4Kids uh, production dubbed was the cult classic. You might have heard of it. Pokemon? Nah. Anyone in the... Nah, I don't ring a bell. Yeah. Po yeah. Pokemon? So they did... <laughs> yeah. That's not Pokemans? Um, no, it's it's mon like mm. eh, Pokemon, yeah, yaman, yaman. Um, let us know in the comments. Is that the most offensive accent I've done on the show? I feel like the most offensive accent you've done on this show is just your normal mispronunciation just of everything. Of everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So they did the first eight seasons of uh, Pokemon uh, when it went into its uh, United so, States. So uh, barely any of it, really. Yeah, um, and while Pokemon is far and away their largest franchise, they did a few other, you know, little things like Yu-Gi-Oh! and One Piece. Like, Oh, I recognize that last one. <laughs> yeah, um, 
when I, I, I'm so kind of through the, I'm going to take you through time kind of like from 1970, um, all the way till pretty recently. Um, and you're going to be shocked by just the properties they had. You're going to be like, what? Yeah. Um, so uh, they also ran uh, two programming blocks, Toon's Eye on the CW and 4Kids TV on Fox. Was it called um, the, the CW Kids... back then? I think it was originally called the WB back then. I was going to say, that I don't remember it being the called CW. the CW back then. Because I think it transitioned like sometime around like 2009-ish, I want to say. God, I'm old. So they also ran two programming blocks, uh, Toon's Eye on the CW and 4Kids uh, TV on Fox. The 4Kids TV block ended in December 27th of 2008, while Toon's Eye block ended on August 18th of 2012. Uh, but before all of that, we're going to travel back to the late 70s, early 80s. Is that your time? Back when, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna come. I'm not impressed. <laughs> I got a I got a soundboard, best buds. <laughs> give give me give me your actual time travel noise. Um like this. <laughs> Alright, I'll put something there. Oh, I thought um, I thought you were just gonna put the I'm gonna come sound. <laughs> I'm gonna come. There you go. That's the sound travel noise. So yeah, so we time travel back to the the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, I have an afro now. Bef <laughs> yeah, before all of uh, all of the dubbing and all of that, they're really just like a toy and a cartoon ideas company because back then that could be a business. Um, and so, like, they worked on, like, schmoozing, basically, and, and forming partnerships with companies such as uh, Rankin and Bass, uh, among others. So, uh, Leisure Concepts began making the news in the 1980s when it uh, began licensing actual people, a variety of products, and even concepts. The company had a growing number Wait, of hold up. How do you license a producers. concept? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay, um, just I was just curious to see if you had any examples. Well, that's wild so to me. well, I'll I'll kind of show you because some of their licenses include Farrah Fawcett of Charlie's Angels. Okay, so like, all right, I see what you're okay. I see what you're going for. Now. Her, yeah, they have like the license of Farrah Fawcett. Okay, um, not like her Charlie's Angel character. Just her. Um, yeah, but check this shit out. They have James Bond. Um, really? Various, yeah, various Nintendo characters and products, the Hulk, Buck Rogers in the 21st century TV series, and more. I'm still stuck uh, on James Bond. That's a huge get. You know, get over it, because it gets more wild from here, dude. Okay. <laughs> um, Leisure Concepts is credited in its uh, assistance in the initial development of the Thundercat, uh, Thundercats concept. Uh, it okay. acted on behalf of... Yeah, what's up? So can we... Do you watch Thundercats, right? <laughs> Sorry, this is a yeah. huge aside, but oh, I need sure. to get it off my chest because I this is the first opportunity we've had to talk about Thundercats <laughs> on our anime podcast. So uh, Panthro was black, right? Like, we can agree with that. Like, Sure. 
I when I was a kid, I always thought of Panther as the Black Thundercat. So like, I just need to know that yeah. somebody else thought that, or at For least sure. agrees with me on that. Yo, I didn't even know any black people when I was growing up. I, <laughs> I I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest thing you've ever said. That's not true, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> um. But yeah, so uh, they acted on behalf of Laura Martella Pictures Corp, uh, Corp. and uh, as the exec- exclusive worldwide licensing agent for the production uh, uh, products based on the Thundercats. Okay. During the mid-80s, Ted Wolf came up with the idea of a race of cat-like humanoid superheroes, and he shared this vision with his friend Stan Weston, who in turn, through uh, Leisure Concepts, uh, pitched it to Rankin and Bass, uh animated entertainment both arthur rankin jr and jules base were impressed with the idea they're like hell yeah give us those cat (laughs) race of cat like humanoid superheroes that's just what we need um they approved it and thundercats went into production awesome uh (laughs) <laughs> on December 17th of 1987, uh, Leisure Concepts uh, signed a licensing deal with Nintendo of America to market the software products that went along with the increasingly popular gaming systems. Nintendo also introduced The Legend of Zelda for its home video game system, a software product that went on to sell more than a million copies during the year. At uh, the same time in 1986, uh, the the company also signed a licensing deal to market uh star wars i didn't realize how big a deal this company was <laughs> right like i right i like, never like obviously i never knew that like four kids had like this parent company but like the fact that this parent company had projects like star wars and like legend of zelda and nintendo of america like that's wild now I, and i was thinking a lot about this too and i i think what is probably important to recognize is that these companies probably had multiple companies representing them. Of course, um, but even to just be a part of that, you know? Yeah, but these are huge names. And, like, you know, it, almost in every decade that they work in, they have some of the biggest properties of that time. Like, Star Wars, you know, uh, Zelda, James Bond, like it's wild Thundercats. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's just the eighties. Now we get into the nineties. Uh, in 1992, two subsidiaries were established by the company, the Summit Media Group Incorporated and 4Kids Productions. Leisure Concepts expanded its operations, delving into television production through its subsidiary, 4Kids Productions. This would include English dubbing Japanese anime, which the company would become most well-known for and where the story is headed. Finally, in on November 16th, 1995, the company changed its name from Leisure Concepts, Inc. to 4Kids Entertainment, Inc. So they're, they're all in on anime now, or at least cartoons. Well, they're all in on that particular branding. I still think that they have, like Summit Media Group, I'm pretty sure, is like um, for like other things outside of anime. So I, I think they're doing other things as well, but they're... As you'll see over the course of the 90s and the 2000s, anime becomes essentially the central part of their business because it's just 
blowing up and they're at really the forefront of it right like when you think about the properties they have and the time they had them like they're hugely responsible for bringing anime to the west gotcha right so and i think you know we'll get into that a little bit at the end too so um Going into the turn of the millennium, the company was riding high from its success from Pokemon. Uh, it earned its uh, slot on Fortune's uh, top 100 fastest growing companies for the year 2000. Uh, this was cemented when four kids in Mattel signed a licensing agreement to create Hot Wheels diecast cars and racing sets featuring the Pace Motorsports line of monster trucks. This licensing include the rights to the monster truck Grave Digger. Oh, I remember uh, Grave Digger. Yeah, right? <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, uh, Sunday. And a new line of world championship wrestling vehicles designed after their star wrestlers such as Goldberg Sting and Bret Hart. R.I.P. Uh, the following year, 4Kids Entertainment obtained the merchandising and television rights to the series Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters from Nihon Ad Systems, producing an English-language version which aired on North American Kids WB uh, from September 2001 to June 2006. In October of 2001, 4Kids Entertainment acquired a 3% stake in the Pokemon company. Jesus Christ! Uh, Right, which for those who don't know, the Pokemon company is uh, Pokemon is the most financially successful franchise in the world. Period. End of story. Like more than Harry Potter, more than Star Wars by a lot. Yeah, um, three, uh, and three percent of that is huge. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Check this out. Uh, it. In a move that benefited directly from Pokemon success in Asia uh, and worldwide Pokemon sales of electronic uh, cards and video games, by 2002, now keep in mind, in October of 2001, they acquired a 3% stake. By 2002, four kids got $140 million in Pokemon revenue. That's a huge get. That's huge, dude. For <laughs> one year, a return on investment of $140 million in one year? For what is essentially a cartoon company, that's huge. Bro, if I could invest 3% in the Pokemon company in 2001. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> uh, somehow they managed to mess it up. Oh, spoilers. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, we all know where this is going. <laughs> Yeah, in late uh, January 2002, after engaging in a bidding award with DIC Entertainment, uh, Four Kids Entertainment signed a four-year, hundred million dollar deal with the Fox Broadcasting Company program to bring uh, to do its Sunday morning lineup. Saturday. Four Kids Entertainment was uh, oh Saturday morning lineup. Four Kids Entertainment was wholly responsible for the content of the block and collected all of the advertising revenues from it. That's huge. Um, Saturday morning yeah, is a huge so that, block. Well, like this is this is like the the four this is the four kids that we remember, right? Yeah, yeah, because this is what like what is this two thousand and two, right? So I'm this is I'm twelve years old. Yeah, when it started, I'm twelve years old. I barely understand my place in the world. You know, I've only recently stopped shitting my pants. So like, (laughs) it's a huge time for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm still shitting Justin. <laughs> he is still shitting my pants, but I have stopped shitting my pants because there's no room in my pants. So I, I had to start using the toilet. Um, I 
so I haven't mentioned them, um, but I, I titled each of these sections. I like this section's title. I call it The Fall of the House of Usopp. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, this is going to be a really good section. <laughs> um, also, if you ever on, write a book about anime, that should be the title of it. That's pretty good. Um, on, on May 28th, 2010, the company announced the New York Stock Exchange trading and its common stock would be suspended uh, prior to the opening of trading on Tuesday, June 1st, 2010, uh, thus effectively delisting the company from the New York Stock Exchange. On January 11th of 2011, the company uh, announced that Alfred Kahn, the CEO and chairman of the company since March of 91, had left the company. So it's it's starting to hemorrhage um, at this point, Uh, which is interesting, too, because I look back on this time and I I part of me thinks to myself like this is around the time that like I started getting out of like anime and and stuff a little bit but I, I think there was actually just a point in time where the model kind of collapsed a little bit that's interesting and because this wasn't as much on tv at, as there had been for a point at this point in my life i had been not really watching anime or cartoons in general for about four years Um, And this is the period in my life where I would start to again become curious as an adult in anime. So I think that 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 difference, that the discrepancy in timing is is interesting. Yeah, Um, but I definitely wasn't watching four kids anymore. (laughs) I could tell you that much. Yeah, same. Um, So, yeah, so they put someone new uh, up as the CEO. It doesn't really matter because uh, just two months later on (laughs) in March, uh, TV Tokyo and Nihon Ad Systems sued 4Kids Entertainment, alleging that the company had entered into illegal agreements with other companies, (gasps) including uh, Funimation Entertainment and Majesco Entertainment regarding the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime franchise. Can we play the crime news sound here? I want to hear it. <laughs> right. Oh, it gets so crimey. Always gets TV more crimey to- than this. Oh, yeah. TV Tokyo claimed that those uh, agreements allowed four kids to collect royalties without paying a portion of those royalties to TV Tokyo, which violates their original agreement. The companies were seeking almost $5 million in underpayments and wrongful deductions and unmet obligations. As part of the suit, the company terminated the Yu-Gi-Oh! license from four kids. Oh, no. Which was their big mistake, unfortunately. Um, Four Kids Entertainment informed the licensors on March 27th of 2011 that their termination letter was wrongful and devoid of any factual legal basis and that they had not given Four Kids 10 days notice as was required. Four Kids further revealed that it had made a good faith payment of $1 million and agreed to a March 18th meeting in lieu of a lawsuit in which Tokyo TV and NAS, uh, nevertheless decided to go ahead with the company also stated that the termination is found to be valid and the company is prepared to do whatever it takes to stay in business um shortly after that they filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy (laughs) i mean okay so to be fair just because you file for bankruptcy doesn't mean the company's going out of business but still that's kind of that's a funny jump cut (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's not until um, the second Bakram scene. <laughs> I feel like Which this is, is th- this is kind of the the trajectory that we're watching Infowars go on right now. <laughs> Basically, um, four kids requested. Uh, I also just love that they pissed Yu Gi Oh off and Yu Gi Oh sued them. Yeah, you know, uh, don't fuck four- with the heart of the cards, okay? Yeah. Uh, Four kids requested that the court suspend uh, co-licensor Asatsu Asatsu. DK's attempt to exercise control of the Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise in the United States, particularly in terms of selling the rights to the latest anime series Yu-Gi-Oh! Zexel, uh, which was due to be pitched at the Licensing International Expo on June 14th. However, on June 2nd, uh, 2011, bankruptcy judge Shelley Chapman issued a court order on TV Tokyo and NAS for an automatic stay in the U.S. license and said the trial will proceed in two phases. The first phase uh, is whether the contractual termination was valid and the second was how much money four kids would owe the companies uh the first trial phase would begin in august of uh august 29th of 2011 on October 27th of 2011, Four Kids and the executives of its former financial company, uh, Lehman Brothers, reached a deal after Lehman had improperly invested most of Four Kids' funds in auction rate securities. Oh, great! Four Kids re- <laughs> <laughs> received uh, half million dollars from the deal. Chapman later ruled that the Yu-Gi-Oh license is still in effect uh, due to TV Tokyo, NAS, and ADK not terminating the agreement properly. So it, they like totally messed up by being like pulling it too quickly uh-huh. um we've all been there so uh, yeah <laughs> on february 29th of 2012 there was an amicable sell- settlement bet- uh of the lawsuit between four kids uh and everyone else over the Yu-Gi-Oh property amicable i suspect it wasn't like, very yeah. amicable <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah amicable right. in the legal sense maybe that's probably about it but like at this point people could sense blood in the water and uh in may of 2012 um an affiliate of uh, Sabon Capital Group uh placed a bid to acquire some of Four Kids assets including the US rights to the Yu-Gi-Oh franchise and the ECW Four Kids block for 10 million dollars which if you remember was worth 100 million dollars uh less than 10 years prior yeah. so quite the fall um on June 5th of 2012, Four Kids commenced an auction between Kids Co. and 4K acquis- uh, acquisition. The auction was ultimately suspended uh, on June 15th, and uh, Four Kids filed a notice outlining a fr- final proposed deal between the three parties. The deal saw 4K acquisition acquire the rights to Yu Gi Oh! and Kids Co. get everything else basically Dragon Ball Z, Sonic X, Cubics, and the CW. Oh, Cubics. I forgot about Cubics. Yeah. Yeah, they had Cubics too. Wow. Um, on August 14th of 2012, uh, it was announced uh, through quarterly report that 4Kids Entertainment had discontinued operating its four divisions of 4Kids Ad Sales, 4Kids Productions, 4Kids Entertainment uh, Music, and 4Kids Entertainment Home Video due to lack of continued profitability. No uh, shit. On December, yeah, on December 5th of 2012, 4Kids Entertainment announced that it had ended a dispute over the so-called Pokemon agreement with the Pokemon Company International, under which the Pokemon Company got a uh, million dollars from them under 
general unsecured claim under the debtor. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, a meeting was scheduled on December 13th uh, to confirm four kids plan to exit bankruptcy. Uh, <laughs> they tried to get out. The same day, the New York bankruptcy judge sent four kids entertainment Inc uh, on its way out of uh, chapter 11th uh, protection uh, because of an overruling uh, of the objection by the American Kennel Club over a licensing agreement dispute. Wait, uh, what? And w- yeah, so like they were trying to like leave bankruptcy, but the American Kennel Club was suing them and was like, "No, you still owe us money." <laughs> what? What money did they owe the American Kennel Club? Apparently, the judge is like, "I guess you don't owe it to them. You good? Okay, good enough. <laughs> I don't know." But it just like the only reason I left that in there was I was just like, and the American Kennel Club is pissed at them too. Like, how do you? They <laughs> seem so nice. Ugh. Um, not their lawyers though. <laughs> on, I bet. Yeah. On December twenty first of twenty twelve, uh, Four Kids Entertainment was renamed to Four Licensing Corporation. The final rebrand was not enough to save Four Kids. On December twenty first of twenty sixteen, Four Licensing Corporation filed for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, and the bankruptcy plan became effective on February seventh of twenty seventeen. The company wow. immediately ceased operations thereafter. That's so recent. Twenty seventeen. Yeah. That's yeah. like six years uh, ago. And also, but also wild to think that they've been around since the seventies. They had the likeness of Farrah Fawcett, Star Wars, Zelda, and then they ended up doing these crazy ass fucking Americanization dubs. <laughs> That's so crazy. Until they went out of business. I didn't, I didn't realize that it went on for that long because, like, twenty seventeen, like that's when I graduated college. Like, and you know. Spoiler alert, I started college way later than most people, but like like that's really recent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So cool. And I I think it's probably worth talking about like four kids. So you've we've heard us talk about like some of these properties, right? Like just huge things that almost everyone's seen. Dragon Ball Z, Sonic X, Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, Pokemon. It's the list is insane yeah these were many people's first experience of anime i think most people we talked to say pokemon was the first anime they yeah saw. i mean pokemon is a huge one one piece um anything on tsunami um is huge too but like yeah pokemon is probably the biggest yeah and and i mean it really was like a two-pronged spear of like four kids and tsunami in terms of you know of anime on uh network tele or on television right so four kids was really the ones bringing anime to people who didn't have cable right that was yeah because experience because four kids was on the wb which you know, dating myself here, but you could get that on the rabbit ears, you know, that was the over the airwaves, yeah. you know, um, back when, you know, it's getting a little personal, but like I, my parents are divorced. I used to go visit my father every other weekend. He didn't have cable. He just had the, the rabbit ears. Um, and that was how we watched TV. 
So when he wasn't busy watching Walker, Texas Ranger or Star Trek. Oh, um, oh my God. I remember Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he wasn't busy watching those, we would watch, you know, uh, stuff on, on the WB, UPN, whatever was available, you know. Um, so I, I guess y- you still can get some channels, but I think there's only like three left that you can get on the antennas anymore. Um, I'm calling them the oh, rabbit yeah. ears, but like for those antenna. of you Gen Gen Zers out there who don't know what we're talking about, it used to be that you put a set of antennas not really on your TV, <laughs> but near a window somewhere, and you would get your God, TV this- electromagnetically <laughs> through the air. This podcast makes me feel so old because we like talk, have our normal conversations, and then we have to stop ourselves and like remind us that like people were born before technologies exist the internet used to come Uh, in the mail oh god um but Uh. yeah no we 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 used to be antennas that we would set up that we would watch things on that were broadcast over the airwaves like radio electromagnetic i don't know the science behind it i'm not a fucking scientist but (laughs) it it came through the air into the antennas and we watched it okay yeah and we're here to talk about the anime we watched on it and we're here to talk uh, and kind of all of this leads to the the kind of discussion point which is uh, what how that anime was presented to us the English-speaking American viewers. Absolutely. So that kind of leads us into uh, our kind of our capstone discussion of the episode, which is the localization or really more accurately the Americanization of anime that four kids engaged in. And not just four kids. Obviously, there were other companies. But as we've talked about, four kids was the first and the largest um, of them. Um, so I'm, what I'm going to read here is kind of it's 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 it comes from Wikipedia. This is this is kind of the four kids' perspective on how they did localization. But during its operation as Four Kids Entertainment, the company faced intense criticism from viewers over the company's extensive editing and localization of the anime and other non-American series they licensed. Practices like censorship, story editing, music editing, and their Americanization of Japanese cultural preferences. Uh, were changed to be uh, to, to suit a more American taste. One example includes characters eating rice balls, commenting that they were eating jelly donuts in their original uh, dub of the Pokemon anime, which I think a lot of us can probably relate to um, having a kind of cognitive dissonance when we first realized what that was, right? Um, Best Boy, do you remember what your, what your, how you felt when you realized those weren't jelly donuts? I I think when I saw it and I like was had actually had like onigiri I was like what the hell So I had when like, I first saw that I had never had onigiri before It was for me I was like oh those are weird looking jelly donuts but okay um for me it wasn't until I I was living in Japan and had an onigiri that I realized Wait a minute. That wasn't a jelly donut. Hilarious. Yeah, like, because I, <laughs> I had never had an onigiri, you know, in growing up in suburban Long Island. Obviously, where would I have that? Um, so, like, it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I realized that those jelly donuts were just rice balls, right? Um, yeah. 
But uh, at the 2019 Fan Expo Canada, Eric Stewart, who is the voice of Brock and James in the four kids dub of Pokemon, uh, the voice of Seto Kaiba in the English dub of Yu-Gi-Oh! and who was also part of the production side, uh, mentioned why four kids dubs had this kind of censorship. He explained that American culture has a different sensitivity to certain content compared to Japanese culture, and networks on Saturday mornings had standards that would forbid certain inappropriate content like firearms, sexual references, religious references, display or mention of death, alcohol, cigarettes, and other content that is considered offensive to American audiences, as the censorship is dictated by the networks and not the production company itself. Four kids would submit the scripts and footage of their dubs to the networks and their dubs air uh, the networks that their dubs air on, and the executives of those networks would review them. Then, after they reviewed it, they would tell four kids to cut out certain scenes and edit inappropriate content to something particular, like changing Sanji's cigarette to a lollipop in One Piece, changing a stone that looks like a cross to something non-religious for their dubs to pass network standards. Um, he also pointed out that Pokemon and anime as a whole wouldn't be as wildly popular as it is today if companies like 4Kids didn't air it on network television instead of being in the back of a video store. Now, this is what 4Kids and the people who are involved in the 4Kids localization process, that's their perspective on this. And, you know, obviously you gotta give them credit because they were the ones who were actually involved. But I gotta say, a lot of this reads like bullshit to me. Um, well, it it's that it's that like that person who like did something good, and they're like, you know, I I slaughtered four hundred children, but you know, I I taught three thousand people to read. Are you really gonna get mad at me about those four hundred children? I mean, I would. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um. It, it's it, but it, it's but, just like. It's a diversion. But the, re- the, right? the you reason... You can do good and bad simultaneously. The reason why it reads as bullshit to me, though, is because, like, okay, sure, you want to say, oh, right, we, we don't show guns on our Saturday morning TV. Okay, fine. We don't show cigarettes on our Saturday morning TV. Okay, fine. Both of those are bullshit. But, okay, if you want to say that, then fine. What excuse do you have for just making a side character in One Piece who is dark-skinned What's what excuse do you have for making him whiter? You know, yeah, there's no excuse it, for that. No, it, it's also that is unconscionable and, and weirdly racist, but there's also just this really like just no respect for the audience too right with the the thing that comes to mind is the jelly donut yeah it's saying american kids are too stupid to understand that people outside of america eat different things right and that this this wasn't made in america originally right like we to the point where some executive somewhere was like you need to change this so that these dumbass American kids can understand it. And to me, that is a, a cultural disservice to people as well, to to strip the culture to make it more American. Yeah, and, and acceptable. I mean, the, the, the biggest the biggest rebuttal that you have to this, 
is the the way that I because I personally obviously I watched Pokemon, um, but my main my main line introduction to anime was Toonami, right? Toonami, Midnight Run, that's that subset of of localizations, and yeah, obviously those aired at a different time of day. You know, I'm not gonna I, I'm not absolving four kids. Basically, four kids wants us to absolve them of their their localization sins by saying, oh, well, we we aired at, you know, during the morning, Saturday morning block. Right. And I will not let them do that, though. I will say things are different for Toonami, who had a, a, a time slot at, at night and in the middle of the the early morning. They also had the but rising sun. Which they had was the Saturday did, morning. Yes, that's true. They did have the Rising Sun, and the Rising and Sun they also was also had not afternoon like this. cartoons. So, so <laughs> the Rising Sun had uh, Dragon Ball Z in it. Yeah, and they showed blood. <laughs> they showed blood. They showed balls. Like they showed Goku. They, they showed not, Goku's dick and not, balls. Not on. Uh, not on uh, Cartoon Network. Are you sure? They I'm pretty sure they positive. they did because I definitely okay. Positive. Maybe not Goku. Trust me. If I listen, I am an expert on. <laughs> On Goku's dick, okay. All right, so maybe not Goku, but definitely Shin Chan. I saw Shin Chan's ass on. Well, on Shin Chan's ass is like is is part of the story, and his dick and balls. Although th- I can't confirm whether I saw his dick and balls on Cartoon Network, but I definitely saw his ass. Anyway, uh, moving along from ass and dick <laughs> to and balls. Be a man, you have to have honor and a penis. No, Dan, you're singing the song wrong. It goes. To be a man, you must have honor, honor, and a penis, and it's still wrong. But uh, that's how the song goes. Um, no, but uh, moving away from all of that silliness, um, the reason why I bring up Toonami and Midnight Run and 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 the Rising Sun and all that is because that's how I grew up watching anime. That was my first experience with anime and their various localizations. And in watching that, I was able to understand as a child, the same age as the children who are watching four kids, that this takes place in Japan, which is a different place from the place where I live. Right. I could understand that things are different because they're in Japan, this country that I don't have much of a concept of, but I at least understand that it is a country that is not the country that I live in, right? I did not at that age, nor do I think anybody at that age, need everything that I watch to be, to take place in America, right? Well, I think it's an actual disservice to children, A, to to treat them like kids and treat them stupid, right? Like, I, I visited uh, a friend of mine who has a toddler and the difference between a show like Bluey, which is a targeted kid show, but is like smartly written, and something like Coco Melon, which they like Coco Melon, fuck, which is like wild though, because it, it's just in the respect that they give the children, right? Yeah, it's, it's how smart they are, and and. And I think to do things like this, right, is a disservice in the sense that you're actively keeping from children from learning about other countries, right? Like the first time people saw Onigiri for the most part was Pokemon. Absolutely. And now they're and and now okay. And now now no okay. So the the first time people were were... (laughs) I have to wait. 
<laughs> I have to go on a crazy side tangent because it has always been my plan that if I have a child, I will pick one thing that I will teach them incorrectly. Right. So like, for example, like I will teach them that a refrigerator is called a toaster okay. or something. And as far as they know, they will go their whole life thinking a refrigerator is called a toaster until one day they're like at college or something. And they're like, hey, can you go get me a beer out of the toaster? And their roommates like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, I mean, that that's kind of a less extreme <laughs> but, version but of what like I was the... going to say, which is that, that <laughs> that's how you end up with a 20 uh, or like a 19 or 20 year old man child because you're not a man you're not an adult at that age but the law says you are but that's how you end up being in Japan at that age for the first time having having a paradigm shift in your in in, in your concept of culinary development realizing that that was not a this jelly donut, donut. Is savory exactly this is not <laughs> a jelly rice and fish this, this jelly donut is plum. made of rice and fish this is insane <laughs> you know that's how you end up with that instead of just as a child being like when, when they say oh translating onigiri to rice ball and you look at that and you say oh that must be a ball of rice like maybe you don't understand that the black part is seaweed and you don't need to you know yeah B- but like being th- but my point is that as a child, right, my predominant viewing of anime coming from Toonami was prepared me to understand when I became older and started watching more complex, more mature anime like Ghost in the Shell, I could understand the nuances involved in Ghost in the Shell that are a result of the fact that it takes place in a different country, right? Because there are things yeah. like okay, one of the one of the things that jumps to, to to mind is that in Ghost in the Shell there are like references to a quote unquote media blackout, right? So like in Japan, if there is an emergency uh, or a, a disaster or like a, a terrorist attack or something, Jap- the Japanese government and military has the ability to shut down the news, right? They can say no news. Until it's for for a certain period of time, until we have the situation under control, and that is very different from how things operate in the United States, where we have a very concrete freedom of the press, right? And as a child, as a teenager, being having this understanding that this show takes place in a different country was it was what gave me the ability to understand that context right i was able to understand the fact that hey this takes place in a different country where the government can do different things right and i think that is kind of you know what i'm getting at where the the kind of disservice that this this childish localization does where everything has to take place in america and be geared towards american sensibilities is that it doesn't gear you as a a growing person to understand that things are different in other places in the world you know yeah i mean like learning about onigiri was essential to like my later on viewing of bento um which if you're unfamiliar with is an anime where people fight for low price delicious food items from a local mart that's what i do Um, on thursdays until they get their food or their clothes are blown off them in the heat of combat. Um, 
And so learning about Onigiri was very important to understanding that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, I will, um, you know, I think that that's kind of the soapbox that I wanted to stand on. Um, yeah, it's, it's like uh, you have to, and we've talked about this before, you have to hold two concepts in your head, right? Like you have to recognize that four kids was, an incredibly influential media franchise in its time and is hugely responsible for anime's invasion of the West. It also did a terrible job localizing it and is a lesson in how not to localize things. Absolutely. All right, best buds. So that kind of wraps up our, our discussion here of four kids um, and also our kind of where where it led ultimately uh, to our discussion of localization and Americanization of anime. Um, I hope you found it informative. I hope it was at the very least interesting to you. Um, I know I learned a lot. Uh, I hope you also did best boy, Dan. You definitely uh, got to learn about Argentinian's new potential president with his clone dog. I definitely did. Um, and I'm going to spend the rest of my day ensuring that I don't remember that tomorrow. Um, but speaking of things that you can remember tomorrow, um, you can let us know how you felt about this week's episode. Uh, let us know what was your first experience with four kids or, you know, what was your first experience with anime how do you feel about localization? Um, you know, are you, do you think it doesn't matter? Are we making mountains out of molehills? Or do you kind of see where we're coming from? Um, you can let us know all that and more uh, by let, hitting us up on Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. You can always send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, you know, we do appreciate it if you rate and review us five stars. You know, be, be whatever your relationship is with the like button, as long as you are, you know, let it, let your friends know about us. We do appreciate it. Um, you know, word of mouth is huge. Talk to your friends about anime. There's no reason to be ashamed of 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 your love of anime. And I think, it, you know, sharing sharing your interest with your friends, anime or not, is always a good thing. Um, so when you do so, we hope you think of us. Um, but I guess that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Um, thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, I am going to now go read my German localization of my dress up darling sexy cosplay doll. I'm going to not do that because I value my sanity. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.